And last night I got really excited about this being the first Sunday of the year. And there's something always special to me about the first Sunday of the year because it kind of sets the pace, it sets the tempo. It, um, it, it's, it's a message that I think, and, 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 and a, um, kind of an experience that we want to hold on to, that we, we don't want to forget. And, and I, as I woke up this morning, I was just really elated about it was time to go to church. So I, I really hope and expect that God will... Uh, do something amazing today. And whether it's in my life or your life or all of our lives, I, I don't know whose it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be everybody. But um, I think today is like Habakkuk, the great minor prophet, would say, uh, we want to expect a miracle today. And, and I hope that miracle uh, comes for you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit this morning about white lies. You know, white lies, I think probably we all tell them. Um, I don't know where it got the expression white lie. Uh, it, we all tell stories or we, we avoid the truth, I guess. By nature, I think most of us might be conflict avoiders. And uh, we don't like the conflict or we don't like to um, call into question uh, the truth in some things. We'd rather just avoid it and uh, sweep things under the rug and, and just kind of move away and those kind of things. But, but sometimes we tell white lies. And, and those white lies that we tell mostly is that uh, a way that we can kind of get ourselves off the hook that we don't have to be truthful to somebody because, well, if we tell them the truth when they ask us a question or we know there's something that we need to tell them, if we tell them the truth, then they just might, you know, they might get upset or they might get hurt. You know, the conversation in the Martin home kind of goes like this very often, and, and we hear this conversation a lot. So if I'm traveling northbound, does the southbound end of me look big? I mean, we hear that a lot in our house, and, uh, and, and usually uh, when I ask that question, Patty's like, no, Bob, I, I keep telling you, you're, you're okay, and it, you know, your butt's not that big, but, but it, so she, she tells me the truth anyway. But you know, truth-telling is, is something a little bit greater than that. I mean, let's kind of just cast that aside for a second. I, I think it's really important to, for us to start this year knowing that, that truth and telling the truth, it's a core value. It's a core value of, of who we are. Um, it's a core value of the foundation of, of who we are as a people. And I think that most of us, we, we seek truth in life, and, and, and truth is, is really what binds us together. When I do counseling, and when I help uh, individuals or families or couples or, or, or whoever happens to be um, I'm working with, I, I kind of find it interesting that most of the time that the truth isn't really being told. And, and very often I have to ask the question, what's not being said or what's left unsaid in this moment. When we bring people together, uh, the odds are that their stories might be a little bit different, especially if there's a little bit of conflict. Usually there's a little bit of truth in both, but the whole truth is missing. So truth is one of those things that, that if we don't have truth in our life, if we, if we aren't living into truth, life can be chaotic, it can be out of balance, it can, it can, be, without, it can be without purpose. So telling the truth, though, can be dicey, it can be messy, it can be um, conflict-oriented, but, but seeking the truth is so important. And I think that, that as a people, uh, seeking the truth in everything is a priority. It's a high value that we need to hold on to. But the question becomes, what is it that we're supposed to trust? Where is it that we find truth? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about these un unchanging truths. And, and the unchanging truths are going to be dealing with the character of God. They're going to be dealing about something within our faith, something that we know and we can hold true to know regardless of whatever is happening in our life, uh, whether it's good or bad or challenges that are coming. We know that there are certain things that are unchanging and that truth um, will stay the same. And one of the things that we learn about the character of God is that God is truth. And God is unchanging, so therefore we know that God is the anchor of, of the truth that we 
that we pursue. So my hope is that today as we talk about uh, one unchanging truth, which is God loves you. And I think that it's a really important, uh, important topic for us to talk about, especially the beginning of this first year. Um, will you pause with me for a time of prayer? Let's just pray for a second. Lord, we just uh, ask for your illumination of our minds and our hearts today and help us to experience your love, whether they be through my words or the words of, uh, of the people that we're gonna talk to and uh, talk about and, and learn a little bit more about their life. But more importantly, help us to leave understanding that you are love, amen. Now, as a Pharisee, um, Nicodemus was an interesting character. John writes about Nicodemus in his gospel. John is the, the fourth gospel of the New Testament. And Nicodemus is an individual who is highly trained. Um, he's, he's called a Pharisee. What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a person who basically was an expert of the Torah. The Torah would be the uh, books of, many of the books of the old, what we would call the Old Testament, um, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, plus a lot of the writings of the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. So a Pharisee was someone who, who knew the laws of God. The Pharisee was the person who knew those 733 laws of the prophets, who, who, whose whole world in life was to make sure that people of the Jewish faith were following the laws. A Pharisee was probably someone who was very intelligent, very book smart, um, had a lot of gray matter. They, they, could, they could figure things out. A Pharisee was, was a special person that had those kinds of gifts, highly educated. But the challenge with a Pharisee, and especially a Pharisee like Nicodemus is, we find out that there was a lot of head knowledge, but there wasn't a whole lot of heart. They could recite the laws of God. They could recite what the Scripture said in the Old Testament. But the whole application of knowing God and being in relationship with God we're probably missing quite extensively. So John talks to us about, in chapter 3, he says that, that Nicodemus goes out in night, in the night, searching for Jesus. Now, a lot of uh, scholars have debated what does this mean, going out in the night. I think John is communicating with us a metaphor here, personally. And I think what John is saying is, is that Nicodemus going out into the night searching for Jesus is Jesus represents the light, right? We've talked about the light of Christ in the past. So going out in the night, Nicodemus is going to be missing a lot of his Pharisee friends. He's going to be missing a lot of the high councils of the, of the Jewish um, temple crews and all of that. So going out into the darkness, kind of the cover of darkness, he is looking for the light of God. He is searching for the truth. He's searching for Jesus. And for a lot of us, we learn that in order for us to get to truth, we have to expose the darkness of the lies of our lives or the lies of the life around us into the light of Christ so that we can actually see the truth. So Nicodemus goes into the dark searching for something, and he's searching for something that he's not yet aware of, but God is wooing him into his presence, and Jesus and the encounter begins. Here's what John writes. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Now remember during this time, there had been a lot of false messiahs. There had been a, a lot of individuals who said that they were the messiah who was going to restore Israel and free the people and, and basically take down Rome. So, so the word is out about Jesus and Nicodemus, so he comes in this and he says, we know that you have to be a teacher from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Signs is the word that John uses in his gospel 
for a miracle. So Jesus is performing miracles. He's performing signs. These are not the signs that magicians would do. These were not uh, the signs that charlatans would, of, of the faith would do. These are real things like turning water into wine and some powerful things that we know that Jesus is doing. And Nicodemus knows that he knows that he knows that this is someone of God. In reply, Jesus declared, listen to what he says here, I tell you the, what does he say? Truth. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now Nicodemus, remember, headstrong, intelligent. He's trying to figure out now some way anatomically how he's supposed to be born again. He's an old man. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. Surely I cannot enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus, I'm not talking about a, a, a birth through the woman's womb. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And the spiritual birth must happen in your life. And the way that that spiritual birth happens is you come into the presence of the truth, okay? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So in order for, in order for Nicodemus to move from being a, an intelligent, head-smart person of religion, he's got to have a transformation of his heart and connect with the heart of God so that he can move from religion to relationship. And that's a struggle that many of us have. Many of us are great at practicing religion. We come to church, we go to Bible studies, we're in small groups, we read the Bible. But the relational aspect, when, when asked who is God in your life, we might struggle with that. So, God, so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I'm moving you from the head knowledge of practicing religion to relationship. And I'm telling you the truth that this is how you do it. You must be born by water and the Spirit. Nicodemus says, how can this be? And, and Jesus says, um, you're Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. And we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still people do not accept our testimony. So all of the signs, the miracles, the teachings, the things that Jesus is doing, there are still people who are eyewitnesses who are there, who are walking with and seeing and experiencing. There are people who are there who still don't understand. There are still people who don't accept the testimony. They don't accept the truth that Jesus is giving. So who are these other people? Who are these other people that John's referencing? You know, maybe, uh, maybe there are other Pharisees. Uh, maybe John's referencing that Jesus is talking about the disciples. We know as we read the life of the disciples and all the Gospels, even in the book of Acts and Paul's letters, we find all these different scenarios with, where even though they were walking with Jesus and seeing it happen, they still had doubts. They still didn't believe. They betrayed. They, they weren't sure. Their faith was weak. And so maybe, maybe it's the apostles. Maybe it's us. Maybe you and I are, are at a place in our life where, where we're just not really sure yet, even though we've seen God working miracles around us and even in our lives, maybe we're still not sure of who the truth or what the truth is. Where I see this challenge a lot is when circumstances come our way, when, when challenges come our way, when, when things are not in balance with the life that we want, when things are out of balance, counterbalance, 
And something moves the axis of who we are or our life or our happiness of life. It moves it off keel. We begin to question the truth. We believe in, in the truth of God's word, but then someone that we love deeply lies to us. And then we begin to say that all words are lies. Even, even God's word is a lie. That can happen. We, uh, we, we believe in truth of God's healing, but in, our, but in our illness when it doesn't happen, and now, all of a sudden, all those years we trusted God when we were in great health, now that we're ill, we're not sure we can trust God because, well, it just doesn't feel right and, and we're not seeing the transformation or the, the healing that we had sought. We believe God loves us without error and then we sin. And then all of a sudden, we're caught in our sin. And then we're ashamed of our sin. And then we begin to say, well, I, I just don't know that God could love me. I'm a sinner. Look what I've done. And then we, we fall into that, well, well, you know, other people have forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Jesus said, I am the truth. And that we must be born again by, by water and the Spirit. It's likely that, that, that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, listen, you're not alone. Just, just chill out for a second, Nick. You know, here, here is the facts. The facts are that everybody is in a process. Everybody is learning what it means to understand the truth. Everybody's beginning to understand what it means to be, to be loved by God. And maybe there's some of us here this morning that, that, that we just haven't figured it out yet, that, that we hear about the love of God or, or we know God loves others, but does God love me? And we're seeking the truth. Jesus says that, 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 that uh, what many would say is the greatest truth of all Scripture. Jesus pulls Nicodemus into his inner circle. And at that moment, Jesus says to Nicodemus, here's something I need you to know. In fact, he says, Nick, this is so powerful. This is not just going to change your life. This is going to change the whole world. And Nick, if you'll just listen to me for a second, just sit here and listen to me, I'm going to tell you the truth about something that's going to unleash the greatest thing that God will ever do. And he says, listen, and this is what he said. He says, this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. No one need be destroyed. Yes, we are all sinners, but the profound act that the Father gave the Son as a sacrifice for us, the fact that God became flesh in Jesus, deity, incarnation, humanity, died on a cross for us, is a way of God demonstrating the love that God has for us. That, that whatever your sin is or my sin is, whatever action or inaction we've taken or not taken, God covers that with his love. And he says, this is the powerful truth, and that whoever believes in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Now, this is really important because some of us think that, that the only reason why we want to accept the love of God, the only reason why we want to embrace the grace of God is so that we can get to heaven. Folks, heaven's a long way away. You know, most people today live into their 80s, maybe even 90s. Uh, you know, if you take a look at where your age is and you subtract it from the average age, you've got a lot of life to live. So what Jesus is saying is, don't just do this so that you punch your ticket for the future. Do it so that you can have the abundant life, love of God now, right now in your life. In fact, Jesus said the kingdom of God is now. It's not some, something in the future. It's now. We're living in the kingdom and therefore, the reason we embrace the love of God is so that every day we wake up in the morning, we know that we are covered in the love and grace of God. And what a miraculous 
and life-changing gift that that is, that God so loves us that he, that he gives us this gift. He, John goes on to say that God didn't go all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was, but he came to help to put the world right again. Jesus came to put the world right again. God revealed his love in Jesus so that the world would see the awesome love of God. And if you've ever doubted, does God love you? I hope that, that you're focusing on this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus because it's not something we understand with our head. It's the transformation of what happens in the relationship that we have with God. This is really important, and we, and we can't forget this message. And, and see, uh, my experience is this is what happens. So many of us, depending upon generationally where we grew, from where we grew, or, or what region we were in, or even the age that we have, uh, we kind of grew up with this understanding that God was this um, uh, real angry white guy with a long white beard and long white hair and sat on a throne, and he's constantly hur hurling um, uh, lightning bolts down at everybody. You know, oh, don't do it. God's going to get you. I mean, yeah, I kind of grew up with a little bit of that, you know, with, with some of my family and, and the teachings that we have. Others, we've, we've gotten to a point in our life where, where maybe um, an action or an event in our life has, has been so egregious to, to make us grieve about it that we are so shamed about it that we could never understand that God would love us. So therefore, we don't see God as love. Some of us constantly think that God is judging us that everything I gotta do, I gotta do it right because, well, you know what? God's judging me, God's looking, God's watching. Kind of like, you know, angel on a shelf or elf on a shelf kind of thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Jesus is saying, God is love. And this is the extent, Nick, that this is gonna happen. That I'm gonna go to the cross and I'm gonna die for you as a demonstration of that. So we see some, some big things happen. I mean, this is big. It's a game changer. Jesus says to Nicodemus, everything you've spent your life studying, everything you've spent your life dealing with, everything that you've learned and, and had been taught about, all of that, just cast all that aside, Nicodemus, because the one thing that you need to know now is I'm, I'm going to give my life for your sins, and I'm going to give my life for everybody's sins. Everybody's included in this. Now, I have to imagine that at some point in time after that conversation or even after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, probably more likely after his death, death or resurrection, when somebody came to Nicodemus and said, you met Jesus one night. In fact, you saw him before he went to Jerusalem and to the cross. What'd you guys talk about? And can you imagine the conversation Nicodemus could have said? This is what we talked about, that God is truth and God loves us and that Jesus is God in, with skin on. And that he was willing to go to the cross just for you. And he was willing to give his life for that. And then the question might be, but Nick, why, buddy, how, you're a smart guy, you're, you're intelligent. Why do you believe that? It doesn't make any sense. And I can imagine Nicodemus kind of going to his go-to. Hey, when somebody can predict their own death, whenever they can be killed on a cross, buried, be raised from the dead three days later and be seen by over 500 people for several days and then go to heaven, yeah, I think we can trust that. I think we can trust the message that he has. For a lot of years, the Apostle Paul was the enemy of Christianity. 
And Paul was the kind of guy that, that did not like Christianity at all. In fact, you know, Paul, Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul was that same kind of guy. But, but Paul, instead of seeking Jesus, going out in the darkness into the light like Nicodemus did, Paul was trying to kill Christians. But something happened on a road to Damascus, and, and Jesus came to Paul, and this revealing, this revealing thing happened, and Paul's life was changed. And Paul begins to document what happened that day. And why does he document it? Because he wants every generation to know exactly what happened to him. And he wants every generation to be aware of what the powerful love of God can do. Here's, here's what he said. He said, Christ arrives on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. So, so, so in God's time, God arrives always on the perfect time. When does God choose to love you? He chose that from the beginning of time. Why does God love you? Because he created you in his image. And he calls you sons and he calls you daughters. And he loves his children so deeply. But, but, but Paul is saying, wait a minute though. So before all of this, why? He says he presented himself for the sacrificial death. He's talking about Jesus. When we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. So when we were weak in our sin, when we were rebellious, when we wanted to turn away from God, when we don't want to believe God, when we're atheists, when we're agnostic, when we're just on the fringe of believing, not believing, when we're whatever, he says here that in those moments of our weakness and rebellious behavior, that we could not do anything to get ourselves ready because God had already taken the step to do it. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to a selfless sacrifice. Can we really understand what it means to die for somebody else who's not worthy of that? Are you willing to die for the guy that cut you off in traffic this past week? Are you willing to die for the, for the person who committed the murders down the street uh, with a family over here in the Largo area? Are you willing to, to die for a person who is in a total different political opinion than you? Are you willing to die for a person who, who abused you? Are you willing to die for, for a person who just uh, did whatever to your life that you can never think of? No, you wouldn't do it, would you? But God did. And that's why God is God. And that's why we have to understand the significance of this love of God, that Jesus was willing to do this and didn't even think twice about it, but came specifically for that reason. And that's why we need to understand the powerful love of God. You say you could never love anybody like that? Well, God chose and chooses to love you like that. And that's the peace that Nicodemus is trying to get. And Paul continues on and he says, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we're of no use whatsoever to him. Many of us live in a world where, where if I'll do a favor for you, then I expect something back from you. Or I'm gonna get into your inner circle and I'm gonna get to know who you are or your leads group or your professional group or whatever it is because sooner or later I'm gonna want something from you. Sound familiar? What'd Paul say? God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. You see the difference? We're of no value, but still God chooses. We're of no worth, but still God chooses. 
See, we're beginning a new year, and, and I guess that's part of, of where my heart was last night and this morning, is, is we've got a chance today to, to make things right. We've got a chance today to, to really look at the rest of this year in a positive way, not a cynical way, not a way that we did in 2018, not to just continue on with what 2018's troubles bring into 2019, but we have a chance today to shake the dust off of our sandals and to move on. We have a chance this year to really understand how much God loves us. You have a chance right now to know beyond all doubt that God chooses to love you. Even when you feel you're not worth it, God chooses to. 